This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, we're actually in person in New York. So this is not a fake screen. I can actually poke Nick and that's why we wear the same exact shirt. Well, look, today on the news, we're, we're talking about some big news from OpenAI. The nonprofit board fired the for-profit CEO mindset of Sam Altman. We'll see how uh, that is evolving by the day right now. Sad news about Rosalind Carter and some information about donor advice funds. So lots to get into, Nick. Let's kick it off. Yeah, so I'll take it away. So to where Jazzy said, our first story is that the nonprofit board that governed OpenAI fired CEO Sam Altman over the weekend. OpenAI is initially a nonprofit company, first and foremost, that was dedicated to beneficial AI development, but underwent, some would say, a radical and swift change over the weekend in a high-speed, very online drama by the port ousting now former CEO Sam Altman. In addition, OpenAI executive Greg Brockman decided to quit in protest. And as of now, Twitch's ex-CEO Emmett Shear has stepped in as an interim CEO. The current development is that Sam Altman is now at Microsoft. Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, announced Sam Altman's moving there. Supposedly now there's still talks about something going on, because remember, Microsoft owns 49% of OpenAI and has access to a lot of that technology. So there's a lot still up in the air, George. But I think what we want to talk about is the really interesting narrative of a nonprofit board actually firing a tech CEO, arguably one of the most important and kind of famous tech CEOs or most relevant over the past year. As Sam Altman, even, you know, a year ago was testifying in front of Congress. He is the face of AI for Silicon Valley, and he just got fired by this nonprofit board. So remember, OpenAI began as a nonprofit and mm -hmm. then created OpenAI Global LLC with Microsoft as a minority owner, which some say altered OpenAI's commitments. But at the end of the day, the company was still governed by that nonprofit board. And it was that nonprofit board that decided to oust him. George, I don't think anyone can say with absolute certainty what happened. It would seem, however, that this shift came about via ideological differences mm -hmm. in how OpenAI was approaching AI and a rift between the nonprofit board, what they felt was their mission, and OpenAI, the company, what they felt was their mission. George, there's a ton to unpack here. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, look, I love speculation as much as the next person as to what's going on. I've been following, you know, Kara Swisher and Stratechery. We put together what we knew when we knew it. At a high level, though, I think I want to look at what is the difference? What is the difference between a nonprofit board of directors and a for-profit board of directors? And first and foremost, like every 501c3 knows that it is a requirement to have a board of directors, whereas for profits, only if you're publicly traded and in some cases you don't need a board of directors. So like that's a big difference. But if you're really starting at the high level here, here it is. A nonprofit board of directors is accountable to the stakeholders. Remember that word. A for-profit board is accountable to the shareholders. 
of which they may also be financially compensated. So there's a big difference when you're looking the social impact, the societal benefit of your work and being graded and judged on that versus did we make more money for our shareholders? And it seems like this ideological rip of are we this per our origin story focused on the public benefit and the safety of deploying a, a tool like OpenAI as, as they have. And I don't think it's an accident that this came a week after what seemed like a very Jobsy and Steve Jobsy style presentation by Sam Altman on the stage of like, we're going to be growing and we're going to be giving more access to this and we're going to be rolling this out. And it was, you know, very clear that this was probably more of a Silicon Valley startup story than a nonprofit doing this responsibly and incrementally in the right way. And I think that came to a head. I think that came to a head. And I think Sam Altman learned the difference between a board that is accountable to the stakeholder versus a shareholder. George, I think that's a great point. And also important to note is that fans of the HBO show Silicon Valley saw all of their craziest plot, favorite plot lines from that show come to life this weekend when EV shows seem to become reality. And Silicon, I, I mean, it's yeah, crazy. Come back. Come back. It was, it was prophetic. <laughs> all right, George, how about I take us into our next story? And this is really sad news. Of course, we have to talk about Rosalind Carter, the mental health activist, humanitarian, and of course, former first lady who died at 96. It was announced by the Carter Center on over the weekend. Rosalind Carter was tireless and set a new precedent for presidential spouses, emphasizing social impact and public service. And her, her legacy is highlighted by her efforts to destigmatize mental health issues, her pivotal role in the Carter Center's humanitarian initiatives, and her commitment to these causes and her influence as First Lady have left a, a lasting mark on social advocacy, particularly when it comes to the evolving role of presidential spouses in, in public service, which now has a very long and, and rich tradition. And that was, she was an icon and Jimmy Carter as well. He's 99, as I understand. 99, it. still going strong. So nothing but the best to Jimmy and I'd say a life well lived. Yeah. And I think, you know, bringing it up, especially for that, that role and redefining roles. And I think it's important when we're looking at institutions, say, what is social impact, non societal benefit, um, legacies we're leaving and building. And that is exemplified by the work of Rosalind Carter. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a life well remembered. George, I think it's time we transition into our next story. I skipped around a bit, but we wanted to talk about billionaire Eric Schmidt plowing $300 million into a nonprofit that is France's latest push to catch up in AI. This was supported by Fortune magazine. So the new French AI research lab, who I can't pronounce it, Kayutai, <laughs> backed by a budget. There's no way that's right. Backed by a budget of nearly 300 million. Um, just, you know, lying around. It's set to make significant strides in artificial intelligence and it's been spearheaded by French billionaire Javier Niel and supported by figures 
like Rodolf Sade and Eric Schmidt, importantly. But it aims to be an on-profit hub for artificial general intelligence research, collaborating with research and PhD students, lots of open source type projects. It distinguishes itself by encouraging researchers to publish their own work, practice increasingly rare in big tech firms, and it aligns with France's broader strategy on AI, as articulated by President Emmanuel Macron, focusing on open source development. And I think there's interesting geopolitical kind of questions here that the French government and, and France as a country are taking steps to place AI at the center of its economy, its, its role on the global stage. There have been other initiatives by um, various French ministries to start working on AI, even partnering with American universities on projects. So this is an interesting push by, it seems like an all-hands-deck, all-hands-on-deck effort by the French to start being major players in AI, where otherwise most major AI developments are happening in the U.S. And it seems that France is trying to change that. Look, I think this is just pointing to the fact that there's not going to be a winner take all. There are going to be many players in every country and in different companies. And I think that is a good thing. We, we want multiple players out there and approaching it. One thing I, and I put it in here because make sure to note that they are choosing a nonprofit vehicle. Remember previous statements. Are we accountable to shareholders whose driving motive is more revenue in the next quarter and the quarter to come to make as much as possible rather than do as much good as possible for our stakeholders, which are incumbent upon the community and the net effect of these powerful technologies. They're choosing a nonprofit vehicle, which, as we just saw, I think is shot across the bow. Whether or not Sam Altman gets rehired back into the fold, there's a shot across the bow that when you betray the public benefit of your reason for being, the board is accountable and they're watching. And it's not just, can we make more money? It is not the standard Silicon Valley strategy of move fast and break things. On the topic of move fast and break things, very quietly last week, actually Facebook did away with their responsible AI team, just, just sort of done. We're, we're good with that. And so again, I point to, I like seeing the nonprofit governance structure at the helm of these powerful technologies because, see my last statement, Facebook got rid of their responsibility AI section. Okay, great. I think that's, you know, the, the finer point to understand here. No, George, I think that that's a great point. And I think the country of France adopting this technology and doing it in what's hopefully a responsible way of wrapping it in that nonprofit container underscores the profound impact and importance of rolling out this technology properly, ethically, and safely. Next year, George, about one-third of the world's population will vote in consequential elections. Mm. There will be elections in the United States. There will be elections in India. There will be numerous elections in the EU. There's a lot on the line next year when it comes to global elections that could have consequences for decades. And we're seeing major tech companies roll back all that safety that has been built up since 2018 and 2020. Twitter, YouTube, it's, it's happening. Whether or not you're reading about it, it's happening. I've, I've heard, heard it anecdotally from people in those spaces. And 
It's something to keep an eye on. And I think nonprofits as the vehicle, as can be the vehicle for responsible tech. And I think you're seeing it more. And it'll be interesting to see how that narrative evolves of using nonprofits to, to advance technology safely. A lot of work to be done in the building of it and then the comprehension of how these tools work and how they can be used to mislead. I didn't know that stat about you said like a third of the population is going to be into voting cycles while this increase in like deep fake capability and yeah. AI to, to, to mimic humans of importance and put out fake information. Uh, well, got some work to do, team. It's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Amazing. Uh, Georgia, we have another story for you. And this is about donor advised funds. With grants to charities increasing 9% from DAFs, we've talked about DAFs before on the podcast, but the 2023 Donor Advised Fund Report reveals a robust increase in DAF philanthropy in the U.S. with grants to charities growing to a record $52.16 billion. So despite challenges in the broader economy, we've seen these disbursements from graph DAFs beginning to grow with an increase in DAF contributions continuing to grow for their 13th year, the report notes a shift of what might be the, quote, new normal in DAF growth rates post-COVID-19 with this this increase. George, DAF sometimes get criticized. Me, I criticize them all the time. Yes, criticized by us. I mean, they get criticized by, by us, namely you, for not dispersing funds enough and, you know, getting the PR of giving a money to a cause for just to sit in a, you know, a market-funded account. But this seems to be meaningful improvement that are, are disbursing money much better than it was even in just a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, and above the minimums, right? Right. Of like 5% of the past. Well, 9% is great. Also, we'll look at normalizing against the fact that we've got interest rates of, you know, T-bells at around 5%. I don't know if like you should also consider that in this like, oh, is that rate? going to stay? Is it more indicative of the larger market inflation? Is it keeping up with inflation? Uh, doing some of that math, but at a high level, at least number go up in terms of billions of dollars donated. I think also if this is a trend to be looking at saying, hey, what is our high net worth donor strategies as you know these DAFs are increasing and acknowledging like, oh, wait a minute, we should maybe increase that component of our messaging, especially look you've got an audience of 10,000 people, remember the power law. 1% of those humans have got 99% of the wealth. And that wealth, more likely than not, is going to be distributed by a DAF. What is your DAF strategy? And so I like seeing these numbers. I'm still, I'm still going to dig in a bit more and finding those angles of like, all right, did that, you know, go out there. But I the donor advised fund report, again, you can find the nonprofit news feed emails uh, if you are signed up to get those free every week yeah this podcast is also an email by us <laughs> written written by us could have been an email <laughs> this could have been an email oh brother george how about a feel-good story all right this one comes from <laughs> I, do, I literally find these just to make you read them oh my gosh I love local news, George. The KOCO, Coco, Oklahoma City reports that Lawyers Fighting Hunger, an Oklahoma nonprofit, hosted its 14th annual Day of Kindness in Southwest Oklahoma City 
distributing 2,000 free turkeys to community members. The event started with just 400 boxes in its first year has grown significantly. Noble McIntyre, managing partner at McIntyre Law, highlighted the rising food costs and the greater need for such initiatives. In addition to turkeys, attendees were also provided with immediate meals like hamburgers and hot dogs. This act of generosity aims to ease the burdens on families struggling with higher food prices. And then just the reminder for our general audience that uh, hunger is not just something that's present in the holidays. If you have a local food pantry and you do a a yearly thing where you go to help and volunteer or donate in the holidays, consider doing that in addition in the off months because the need is just as great. Yeah. For those volunteers coming in, I think this is also a good time to go after your retained giving, your monthly giving options saying like, hey, we need all year round, not just one time. So now probably more than ever when you have a peak in compassion and attention, consider that how are we going to retain the giver? How do we make them a monthly giver rather than a one and done? I do have a question though for you, Nick. Oh boy. Speaking of that, what did lawyers fighting hunger serve after turkey on Thanksgiving? I don't know. Just desserts. Ah. Uh, <laughs> not the best, not my worst. Hey, that's what you got. Just desserts. We just love just desserts. desserts. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, George.